Vision is the ability to look beyond what you can see. Dr. Tony Evans says in life, there's literally more than meets the eye. If your sight line and my sight line is limited to the physical, we will have short-sightedness. This is The Alternative with Dr. Tony Evans, author, speaker, senior pastor of Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship in Dallas, Texas, and president of The Urban Alternative. The Bible tells us there's nothing new under the sun. So Dr. Evans suggests we should be able to find answers for a broken culture when we examine our knowledge of the past. Let's join him as he uncovers historical insights with relevance for today. One day a gentleman saw Walt Disney when he had only developed so far one ride at his amusement park. And Walt Disney was just staring. The young man said, Mr. Disney, what are you looking at? Walt Disney said, I'm looking at a mountain. Now, he had only had the one ride, but he was, he was looking out and he said, I see a mountain. At a celebration of his life, a gentleman came up to introduce Mrs. Disney. And he said, Walt Disney was an awesome man. And he had a lot of dreams. I am just so sorry he didn't get to see this. But Mrs. Disney is here and we want her to come up and receive this recognition on behalf of her husband. Walt Disney's wife came up and she said, I'd like to correct what this young man just said. He said, my husband didn't see it. I'd like to suggest he did see it. That's why he's here. It's just y'all who are seeing it for the first time. If what you see is all you see, that means you do not see all there is to be seen. If your sight line and my sight line is limited to the physical, we will have short-sightedness. Vision is the ability to look beyond what you can see. What you see is what you see. Your physical eyes can, can grasp a lot in the physical realm. But if that is your only sight line, you have limited vision. Mountains in the Bible are regularly used of kingdoms. Kingdoms are called mountains in the Bible. And what I'm trying to instill to a deeper level in me and in us is what I call kingdom vision. The ability to see beyond or look beyond what you can see. I mean, we ask young people this all the time when they graduate from high school. What do we ask them? What do you want to be when you grow up? What do you see out there in your future? And they will talk about the goals that they have for their careers. We're asking them to look further than the reality that they're in now, to have a dream for the future. Well, God is asking his people to have a dream for the future, but that involves his kingdom. And his kingdom is his imprint in history from heaven. You know the Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
God is seeking to imprint history with heaven's footprint. But if you don't see heaven, you don't know where to walk on earth. If you don't see the spiritual, then you will be limited to the physical. And so we're talking about developing that kind of sightline for our lives and uh, to the degree we can for our world. All this confusion that you and I are seeing is because folk are blind. They don't see. And because they don't have the ability to see and unfortunately to a large degree believers not being able to see, if Christians can't see, that's the blind leading the blind. Because we're supposed to see things not merely in the physical, but in the spiritual. I want to call our attention today to Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah 1. Because here is a man who had to develop kingdom vision. Because kingdom vision is not just about you, your future, your career, your salary, your desire, your education. It is about the imprint of God through you in history. This glimpse of the future now. The words of Nehemiah were introduced to in verse 1. It happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year when I was in Susa, the capital. And Hanani, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity and about Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. Basically, what Nehemiah's brother told him was, it's a hot mess up in here, up in here. He said, stuff has gone crazy back home. He says, the folks are living in distress a sense of hopelessness and pain and angst and anguish and fear and frustration and don't know what to do. They are distressed because they got problems they don't know how to fix. When you read the book of Nehemiah, you will see economic problems. You'll see justice issues. Folks were oppressing the poor. You see strife, you see family difficulty, you see violence. All that's in the book of Nehemiah, and the folk were distressed. It says that not only are they distressed, they are reproached. Folk are laughing at them. Because see, these were the Jews, and they're supposed to know God. They're supposed to be close to the Almighty. I mean, they got... They got some of the Bible. They got the Pentateuch. They've got, they got the word of God. These folk are church-going folk, and, and they are a reproach. I mean, we look at them, and they as messed up as everybody else is. 
So these are God's people in distress and are reproached, not taken seriously, not believed, not followed, not requested for their perspective because we don't, we don't take them seriously. They're as racially divided in the church as we are in the culture. They're as class divided in the church as we are in the culture. They're, they got as many divorces in the church as we got in the culture. We got as many men abandoning their responsibility in the church as they do in the culture. So how are we going to listen to them? And how are we going to listen to their God when they don't even listen to their God? They are a reproach. He says the walls are burnt down. The walls have crumbled. Well, the walls encase the city. So that means there's no security. Everybody's got to fend for themselves. There is no police and community agreement because crime then gone through, through the wall. They, they burned up so stuff can infiltrate the city and bring havoc to the community. In other words, it's a mess up there. Things have not gotten better since they left captivity. Since they left Persia, since they started with Babylon captivity. Then they were with Persia. And now that they've been released to go back home, nothing's better in the old neighborhood. Dr. Evans will share a story of returning to his old neighborhood when he continues our message in just a moment. First, though, as we've been learning, regardless of the way things appear at first glance, there's another way to look at life. And when we keep our focus on God and see things the way He sees things, we find new strength and peace to overcome the challenges facing us. Today's message comes from Dr. Evans' new series called Developing Kingdom Vision. And you can get all seven full-length messages as a part of a thank you package we've put together for those who will support Tony's ministry with a donation. In addition to the audio collection, we are also including a copy of Kingdom Focus, one of Tony's newest books that builds on the importance and value of adopting a kingdom-centered perspective. Getting this special package is easy. Just visit us at TonyEvans.org or give us a call at our 24-hour resource request line, 1-800-800-3222. Our friendly team members are ready to help you. Again, that's TonyEvans.org or by phone at 1-800-800-3222. I'll repeat that contact information after the second part of today's message. Now, here's Dr. Evans once again. I still have occasional reason to go home to Baltimore to the old neighborhood, the place where I grew up on Poplar Grove Street, and I have to go back there to check on some remnants from, from the family. And when I go back to the whole neighborhood, I see distress, reproach, and the walls are burned down. Hopelessness is everywhere. And I look and I say, this used to be home. That's how they felt. Going back to the magnificent city of Jerusalem, God, the apple of God's eye. And all they could report is bad. 
I mean, it's really bad. Nehemiah hears this in verse 4, and when he heard it, he sat down and wept and mourned for days. It broke his heart to know there'd been no progress. Even though they were back home in the homestead, things were not in order. Chaos still abounded, and it broke his heart. He wept. It says, for days. So that's the problem. The problem is regression in the community of the saints, which made them a reproach to the environment in which they were situated. And it brought him a broken heart. Well, the first thing he does after hearing about the problem is go to prayer. Because it says at the end of verse 4, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. He's got a, what looks like an unfixable problem that drives him to fasting and prayer. I mean, this is so deep for so long and so bad, only God can fix this. So I better talk to heaven because of how messed up things are on earth. Now, please notice, he doesn't go to heaven last. He goes to heaven first. He doesn't pray after. He prays before. God is on the front end, not on the back end, because the nature of this problem demands heavenly intervention. Let me... Explain kingdom prayer again. Kingdom prayer is heavenly intervention for earthly transformation. Means something down here is bad, so you need something up there to address it. Because if you could address it, it would have been addressed by now. Now that happens in our lives in a lot of ways, sickness and Conflict and economics and can happen in a lot of ways, but kingdom prayer is designed to call down earthly intervention because you need to access heavenly authority. In other words, you need to go to what you can't see to fix what you can see because what you can see isn't good looking at. The job of this prayer is to release Heaven's intervention. Now, let me review this with us. I know we've gone over it over and over, but I don't want you to miss this because I've been asked it many times about does prayer work? God has a conditional will and an unconditional will. He has things he desires and things he determines. He has an unconditional will and a conditional will. What's the difference? An unconditional will means things he's going to do regardless of what anybody else does. In other words, it's just based on him deciding to do it regardless of anybody else doing anything. His conditional will is tied to things he decides only to do when you meet the qualifications for him doing it. 
He has a will he desires that's conditional. He has a will he determines that's unconditional. So if he determines he's going to do it, it doesn't matter what you do or don't do because I decided I'm going to do it. But he has a desired will, things he wants to do, but he won't do until the conditions are met. One of the primary conditions that God says has to be met to meet his conditional will and his desired will is prayer. That's why he says you have not because you ask not. Because that's based on the condition. Now our problem is many times we don't know which is which. We don't know whether this is unconditional or conditional. Is it his desired will or is it his determined will? And since we're not sure often which is which, that's why the Bible says pray about all things. Now, many things are clear, as you'll see in a moment. But prayer is accessing heaven because you're in a desperate situation on earth. That's why you see it as a mainstay throughout the Bible. So he goes into prayer in order to access, let me call it, foreign territory. It reminds me of the couple who were on their way out of the country and they were in line getting ready to go through uh, checking in, but they were going to another country. As they were getting close to checking in, the husband looked at the wife and says, we forgot something. She said, what do you mean we forgot something? Uh, yeah, we forgot this pretty important. Well, what did we forget? We forgot the piano. She said, excuse me? We left the piano at home. We left the piano. We can go to another country. Are you telling me we left the piano? Are you kidding me? No, I'm serious. We left the piano at home. What are you talking about? We left the piano at home. Because the passports are on the piano. See, you can't go anywhere across the country if you don't have the passports. You can't get to heaven without a passport. In other words, you have authorized access. Because it's a foreign land. I mean, we're not, we don't operate in that realm as our normal way of operating. We operate in the five senses. Prayer is designed to take you to another location. He goes to God. And he says, you are great and awesome. Why in verse 5 does he say God is great and awesome? Because you have to know how big God is when you see how big your problem is. So he extols the character of God in light of the crisis. Far too many of us have a God that's too small, which is why we don't go to him. Because if we thought he was really that big, we would go to him more. But since we got this tiny God, we go to him for tiny things. It's like the lady who told G. Campbell Morgan, I only bring big things to God. I don't bring small things to God. G. Campbell Morgan said, lady, anything you bring to God is small. To the great and awesome God. Does that mean he's going to say yes to every prayer? Absolutely not, because some things he has determined. That even if you pray, he's not going to do it. 
So he's, he's got a determined will. But don't miss out on the things he's agreed to do if you meet the qualifications. Because you did pray. He says you serve his covenant, his loving kindness to all who love him and keep his commandments. See the qualifications. Now he comes to the situation, verse 6. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now. Ears and eyes. That's called anthropomorphic language. Anthropomorphic language is attributing human attributes to God. So the Bible talks about the voice of God. It talks about the ear of God, the eyes of God, the mouth of God, the right hand of God. It, it will give human characteristics to God. Now, God in his core is a spirit. Now, Jesus is human when he came to earth, but God in his core is a spirit. So he doesn't have those functions in the same way we use them. But so that they can make sense to us, God allowed the Bible to be written with anthropomorphic language because we know what ears and eyes and voice and, you know, hands are we, the feet of God. We know what that is. It's a great study to look at the anthropomorphic attributes of Almighty God. And so he says, I want you to pay attention. That's the bottom line to me this day on behalf of the sons of Israel. I'm praying for my peeps, your servants. And the first thing I'm going to do is get right with you. I confess, verse 6, my sins and the sons of God. So let me tell you now, if you're not willing to deal with sin, your voice won't be heard in heaven. If you're not willing to deal with sin, your voice will not be heard in heaven. Don't misunderstand me. You don't have to be perfect to go to God, but you have to be willing to admit your imperfection. And Dr. Evans is here right now to follow up on the point he just made. I don't want to conclude our program without giving our listeners a clear opportunity to become a Christian. A lot of people can listen to Christian messages, but never have a personal relationship with the Christ who is the center of that message. So let me explain it very simply. You and I are sinners. We can't save ourselves. So God came up with a plan to provide salvation for us for free. He sent Jesus Christ, his son, to die on the cross as our substitute, validating his purpose by raising him from the dead. And so all you must do is Come to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and for the gift of eternal life. And he will give it away. He will give it to you if you come to Jesus for it, believing him to forgive your sins. Do that right now. God has already made provision through the death and resurrection of Christ. You just have to accept that provision personally. When you do, you are born again. You get to start life all over again. Why don't you respond right now by receiving Christ into your life? If you're ready to do that, take the time to visit TonyEvans.org and click on the link at the top of the homepage that simply says Jesus. Tony has more information there about becoming a follower of Christ, as well as some free resources to help you in your journey. Today's lesson was taken from Tony's powerful sermon series, Developing Kingdom Vision. And you can get the entire series for your own personal review or to share with a friend or small group. It's part of a special offer that includes all seven messages on CD or digital download, as well as Tony's book, Kingdom Focus, 
This limited time offer is our way of saying thanks when you make a contribution to help us keep Tony's teaching on this station. All the details are waiting for you at TonyEvans.org. Just look for the section outlining this deal right on the homepage. Or call our Resource Center at 1-800-800-3222 for some in-person help. Again, that's 1-800-800-3222. In many ways today, our culture is clearly in chaos. But focusing on the problem isn't the answer. Be sure to join Dr. Evans tomorrow as he continues our look at the importance of developing a heavenly vision. The Alternative with Dr. Tony Evans is brought to you by The Urban Alternative and is made possible by the generous contributions of listeners like you. 